NPR for the Palm Beaches. This hour, it's DeSantis versus Disney. The governor and Florida's biggest tourist magnet have been fighting over corporate influence and the so-called don't-say-gay law. Plus, the state's professors file a lawsuit over a new survey about their political beliefs. This is the Florida Roundup from WLRN Public Media in Miami and WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Melissa Ross. Well, Florida and Disney have been friendly for decades, especially when it comes to generating jobs and tourism. But the company has come out against the state's so-called don't say gay law. And now the governor says it's time to review Disney's special privileges. Also, what is Florida after in a diversity viewpoint questionnaire of college professors? Join the conversation statewide, 305-995-1800. Welcome to the Florida Roundup here on Florida Public Radio. Thanks for supporting public broadcasting in your community. I'm Tom Hudson in Miami. And I'm Melissa Ross in Jacksonville. Well, it's the governor against the House of Mouse, DeSantis versus Disney. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has been stepping up his criticism of one of Florida's biggest businesses as the company criticizes one of the governor's hallmark pieces of legislation, the Parental Rights and Education Bill. Now, that's the so-called don't-say-gay law for Florida. It bans gender identity and sexual orientation instruction in kindergarten through third grade. And it also bans even discussing those topics in a way that the law says is not age-appropriate for any grade. After weeks, Disney said that it would not take a position on the legislation. It then came out against it as employees were pressuring the firm. Disney said the bill should never have been passed and signed into law and said its goal is to have it repealed. Governor DeSantis shot back a day later. The state of Florida is going to be governed by the best interests of the people in Florida. You know, we're certainly not going to bend a knee Uh, to woke executives in California. That is not the way the state's going to be run. Now, Disney had already promised to suspend any political campaign donations in the state. Just two years ago, it doled out almost $5 million on Florida candidates. So we begin the hour here on the Florida Roundup with a closer look at this. The relationship between Disney and the governor and how that affects Florida. We want to hear from you. What are your attitudes about Disney World and Governor DeSantis? And what does this mean for Disney's economic and political standing in the state? Give us a call. We're live statewide. The number is 305-995-1800 or tweet us at Florida Roundup. 305-995-1800. Your phone call is coming up in a few moments. But first, Jason Garcia is with us, investigative reporter covering corporate influence. He's also the publisher of the newsletter Seeking Rents. Jason, welcome to the program. Thanks for sharing your time with us. Hey there. Thanks for having me. You've been following Disney and state government for a good number of years. Uh, is this episode real friction between the governor and Disney, or is it more political performance? Well, uh, it's sort of a little of column A and a little of column B, I'd say. Um, it, it, I mean, it's real friction, right? I mean, the, these uh, if you're Disney, you're a super brand sensitive company. The last thing you want is um, 
you know, the governor of the state and, and sort of an entire sort of one entire party right now using you as sort of a rhetorical whipping post. Um, but it's also, it does seem somewhat performative in the sense that um, there is a lot of talk, uh, but, but in terms of substantive action, in terms of taking aim at some of the, the policy favors that the governor and the legislature have done for Disney over the years, there, there's no real specifics around that. And, and I don't think, um, I, I, I find it hard to believe that they really will do anything other than sort of rhetorical retribution, although obviously a lot of this is still to play out. I want to ask you a little bit more about that in a moment, but what are the stakes for Disney, particularly, as you mentioned, certainly a brand-sensitive company, a magnet for tourism, right? The uh, I think the, the, the uh, most significant tourist destination in the state of Florida, which has an economy that rests on tourism. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's uh, it, it is one of the most uh, sort of brand protective uh, businesses on the planet, right? The Disney brand is sort of everything to that company. So, um, you know, it generally uh, has like like most consumer focused brands has tried to sort of sidestep these kind of um, you know uh, culture war battles um, because it's it's not it's looking to avoid alienating you know anybody essentially um and what happened here though i think uh disney employees particularly because there's a there's a significant lgbtq plus population in the disney workforce um sort of forced the company to get involved and and sort of it's now sort of everything is flowing from that so let's try to wade through some of this jason between the uh, public rhetoric and uh, the private policy that can happen here. Uh, Florida Republican House member Spencer Roach tweeted last week that legislators have met twice about repealing a state law from the 1960s that allows Disney to act as its own government, kind of its own government, at its theme parks. Shed some light on on this effort. This has been the focus of uh, questions to Governor DeSantis. Is he planning some kind of retribution uh, by policy for Disney's public uh, opposition to the uh, to the education rights bill. Yeah, that's um, this is where you see some of the absurdity of what's going on right now. So, for instance, um, Spencer Roach, that representative who uh, tweeted out sort of this hint that, hey, maybe we're going to take another look at Reedy Creek. This is the same legislator that in 2019 sponsored a bill that that was written, at least in part, by Disney lobbyists that essentially made it easier for Disney and theme parks and hotels to get rid of lost and found items on their property basically created special lost and lost and found rules for uh for hotels restaurants theme parks um and and you saw the same thing with the governor i think in that same press conference or or the one next after he he went after this um exemption that was carved into a bill last year that that the the governor had been championing to sort of crack down on what he alleged was censorship by social media companies and he he carved uh, they, they carved disney out of that specifically the governor uh, claimed to be outraged by this, except we've got emails that show his staff helped yeah. Disney get that. Exemption. Yeah, I, I, let me just pause here for a moment, Jason, because this is, I, I think, a key moment between the, the political rhetoric that we're hearing, both from Disney and uh, Governor DeSantis and other Republicans and the more of the, the policy that has actually happened. Uh, you talked about the governor uh, passing, uh, having this priority last legislative session that find social media platforms um, that kick 
statewide political candidates offline. It has this exemption if the owner of the media platform also owns a theme park in Florida. So Disney does not appear in the legislation, but of course, by uh, logic, it only applies to just one company, Disney. So this, Jason, this is what you're referring to, what the governor said about that exemption late last month. At the 11th hour, uh, the legislature slips in a provision in that law that said if you operate a theme park, it doesn't apply to you. And that was meant solely to protect Disney. And I oppose that so when it happened. Was this slipped in by state lawmakers, as the governor described it? <laughs> it was uh, it was slipped in by state lawmakers and the governor. So we, we got emails that show right before that amendment was attached to the bill, the governor's legislative affairs director, who is essentially this is a high level employee in the governor's office chosen by the governor and serves as his contact with the legislature, was acting as a go between between the legislature and Disney, trying to find a way to carve Disney out of, of this uh, this bill, this uh, this big tech crackdown, as the governor called it. Um, the, the governor's aide would pass along notes with emails with with, with phrasing like latest language from Disney or Disney suggested this or the, thereabouts. Um, so the governor's office worked very closely with Disney and the legislature to try and find a way to carve them out of this legislation. So um, it it rings somewhat hollow right now for the governor to then turn around and claim to have been outraged by this exemption when uh, he not only said nothing about it at the time, uh, emails show his staff was was working right. with Disney on getting this. The governor's also said that was the only carve out that he has given to Disney in his what two, three, three, three plus years as governor. True? Uh, no, not true. So in 2019, um, uh, there were at least three three pieces of legislation that the governor signed that were specifically for Disney. One was a sales tax break that records show was uh, was written by a Disney lobbyist. The governor signed that into law. Uh, another was the you know the legislature, um, the governor and the legislature over the last number of years has have passed a lot of bills essentially preempting cities and counties from being able to do stuff, right? Um, so there was a bill in 2019 that that essentially prohibited cities and counties from imposing stricter standards on the, the materials used in road construction, basically the aggregates that go mm -hmm. into road building. That legislation included an exemption for Reedy Creek that Disney lobbyists got put in the bill. Uh, Ron DeSantis signed that bill. That same year, 2019, I mentioned earlier, this was this bill was sponsored in the House by Spencer Roach, the guy, the guy talking now about Reedy mm -hmm. Creek. Um, they created that separate, uh, these separate special rules for for items lost at theme parks and hotels. That was also written by Disney and Governor DeSantis signed that. There was also that year um, money included in the budget for um, the Special Olympics USA Games, which were to be held at Disney World and broadcast on Disney's TV stations. Um, the governor, you know, he, he takes a he takes a lot of credit for vetoing a lot of stuff from the from the budget each year, right? I think he vetoed a a billion dollars mm -hmm. that year. He did not touch that earmark. If you're just tuning in here on the Florida Roundup, we're speaking with investigative reporter Jason Garcia about the escalating fight between Disney, perhaps the biggest brand in Florida, and the Ron DeSantis administration. Lots of tweets coming into the show. Here's one from one listener, Disney will be around long after DeSantis is just a footnote, they say. What do you think? It's 305 1800 
As the governor and some state lawmakers say, it's time to give a fresh look at Disney's special privileges here in the state. 305-995-1800. Susan in Jacksonville. Hi, Susan. Go ahead. Hi. Good, good afternoon. In a battle between DeSantis and Disney, I put my money on the mouse. Uh, and why, and why do you say that? Why do you say that? that uh, because they can direct their donations, et cetera, to somebody who's willing to play ball with them. Are they not the biggest employer here in the state? One and of. He, he not, why not? Well, yeah, there you go. Look, Ron DeSantis used this office as a stepping stone for the next chair. He's not serving us. And we've seen a pattern with him emerge that if anybody disagrees with his legislation or whatever, he passes, he immediately turns around and tries to, in the case of Disney, strip the exemption. The school districts that wanted to keep masks or whatever, he tried to strip their funding legislatively. He's an authoritarian like his funder, Putin. And yes, there's evidence showing that Russian money went into his 2018 campaign. He's just running for the 2024 presidential election. I say come November... Since he's going to be spending all his time in Iowa and New Hampshire anyway, why don't we cut him loose so he can do it and we can actually get somebody in who is going to work for the state? Thanks, Susan. So Jason Garcia, uh, for critics of the legislature and the governor going after Disney, they see this move as heavy-handed, even authoritarian what about this perspective? Because uh, you you can certainly uh, make the case that there might need to be a fresh analysis of this Reedy Creek district. It has come under criticism before. But is this the right way to have that conversation simply because Disney disagrees with a piece of legislation? Yeah, you raise sort of two, two separate but good points. One, um, on Reedy Creek, I think actually it would be uh, fascinating if someone really did take sort of an independent, uh, uh, detailed look at sort of the merits of that. You know, there's, um, without getting too far in the weeds, uh, th there are arguments for it. Disney ends up essentially paying for a lot of its own government services um, that otherwise, you know, would be handled by a city or county government, but it also that comes with a lot of perks that include, you know, not paying impact fees, not paying sales tax on construction materials. And a lot of what they're, the infrastructure they're supporting would be like private roadways and stuff. So some sort of analysis that went through and sort of looked at on balance, is this ultimately sort of good for the public as well as Disney? That that, that would be a really sort of important thing to do. And, and I think a lot of good can come out of it. The approach that's being taken here though, obviously, and I think what, what um, the caller was alluding to is, this idea that we are only going to, to look at this stuff if you speak out against legislation, you, if, if you criticize us, then we will come back at you about this stuff. That, that is obviously a really yeah. chilling thing. And I think it's, uh, it, it is fair to say that's, that's a big part of, of the calculus in terms of, of the governor getting so loud about Disney specifically here is it is meant to sort of deter other corporations from doing the same thing. The last thing you want is you know, other big funders of, of the governor and the sort of the ruling Republican Party of Florida. You, you, the last thing you want is like public supermarkets coming out against this or, you know, Florida Power and Light, all of these guys, right? This, the, it, it could snowball. So you want to, you want to cut that off if you can and sort of rhetorically uh, 
you know, swinging away at Disney is, is certainly meant to dissuade that. Hmm. Kathy in Sarasota. Hi, Kathy. Go ahead. Hi. Hi. I, I, I am the mother of a child, and I've taught college, everything, and, all, and your speakers are totally off base. Susan needs to go back up north and be a prisoner. We love Governor DeSantis in this state. But the other thing is, as a mother of a seven-year-old, you, know, you mean a prisoner because want, of man, mass mandates and such? Is yeah, that what you meant that, by that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Florida. I'm a five-generation Floridian, and I love the state, and DeSantis is great. That even rhymes. Huh? But anyway, my daughter, I don't want some stranger uh, talking to my seven-year-old about sex. What the heck? What's wrong with these people? Do they have children? Well, they, you know what? To be clear, that there was no sex education in the early grades, there, there, there hasn't been. Oh my God, I was, I was, I was scared to talk to my parents about. It. I remember being really weird when I was about nine, and they come in for the talk, and I'm, I'm practically trying to put my arm over my eyes, and I'm so embarrassed. Oh my God, you know, I, I mean, I think, you know, it does have to be age appropriate, and I think that's the main message from DeSantis. What is wrong with these people? Come on, see things like they Thanks, are. Thanks, Kathy. The Democrats, where have they gone? <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. I, I hear you, and thank you for the call. So. You know, Jason, obviously, uh, this is divisive for every call we get critical of this move. We're going to get calls in support. Let's be clear. Uh, Disney's criticism of this law isn't because it the executives believed sex education was being improperly taught to young children. It's because a large part of Disney's workforce and client base felt that the law had the uh, effect of uh, of discriminating in particular against uh, LGBT teachers who can't even talk about their 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 lives, uh, not sexuality, but just their lives with a same-sex partner in class, and that it has a chilling effect. Um, you know, there are dozens of lobbyists in Tallahassee trying to deal with this mess. How do you see Disney moving forward as they as they deal with this fallout? Yeah, that's a good question. Although, let me just jump back at one thing, because I think um, one of the things that keeps happening with this legislation is this this conflation between sex and sex, uh, you know, sex and sex education versus sexual orientation and gender identity. Right. Um, the reason uh, so many LGBTQ plus folks are upset by this bill is it specifically says and I, I'm reading the bill right now. Classroom instruction by school personnel or third parties on sexual orientation or gender identity may not occur, right? It is not about sex education. It is specific to sex, sexual orientation and gender identity. And in fact, there was, um, there was an amendment at one point in session to change that language and to make it about sexuality generally, to just, just sort of make it about sex since that's what, that's what the supporters would talk a lot about. And that amendment was rejected. So, um, you know, this bill, for what it's worth, does not prohibit sort of sexual education in third grade, at least the language of this bill, you know. Um, uh, on In terms of moving forward, I think you'll see um, there's going to be a real sort of push between sort of, uh, you know, Disney's like financial interests and the, 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 the lobbyists that represent the company will probably push really hard to sort of keep Disney out of these sorts of fights, right? Because it's not something that sort of directly influences Disney's bottom line. It obviously inspires intense, intense passions on both sides or intense emotions on both sides. Um, but, you know, there will be a push from 
from, you know, particularly as more workers become uh, sensitive to this stuff, as we become a sort of understanding of Disney's sort of influence in the legislative process generally, as Disney's consumers care about this. I mean, there will be pressures on Disney in the other direction to stay involved. So, Jason, stick with us here. We've got a break coming up. Jason Garcia, investigative reporter, publisher of the newsletter Seeking Rents, talking about Governor DeSantis and Disney. More of your phone calls across the state, 305 995 1800 after this you're listening to the florida roundup from florida public radio welcome back to the florida roundup thanks for listening i'm melissa ross in jacksonville in miami i'm tom hudson your phone calls at 305-995-1800 we're talking about governor desantis and disney as there's been quite the dust-up over the so-called don't-say-gay law in Florida. At Florida Roundup is the Twitter handle. Jacob sends us this note. I don't understand how it's ethical to carve out exemptions for powerful corporations like Disney. I don't like DeSantis, but neither do I like powerful entities being held to a different standard than normal citizens. Jason Garcia is still with us. Jason's an investigative reporter covering corporate influence the Florida legislature. Jason's the publisher of the newsletter Seeking Rents. Lots of phone calls here, folks. Let's uh, continue in Orlando. Hannah on line six. Thanks for listening and calling, Hannah. You are on the radio. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, as an Orlando native, I think uh, we have a particularly intimate view of this relationship between um, Disney and state and local governments. I don't agree with um, DeSantis's position on the Don't Say Gay bill whatsoever. Um, however, I'm really interested that this is what kind of tipped them over the edge in um, this conversation of re-engaging Disney, understanding what is this relationship between a private entity, a corporation that is in, you know, really tied up in our identity as a state, but at the same time is not, uh, it, it is its own thing. It's not, um, it is not all representative of all the citizens of the state. And anyways, I think it's really interesting to have this discussion after the recent announcement of their uh, plan to build affordable housing in Orlando for their their employees who um, are struggling to to find housing. Orlando has a, a really big challenge with affordable housing, and so if we're talking about the relationship between uh, Disney and the state and local governments, I think um, it's a good conversation to continue having and and really examine the effects of their. Um, presence on the lives and livelihood of our residents here. Hannah, that's a great perspective from Orlando. Thanks for sharing that. Let me put that to Jason Garcia. Jason, we, we talked, heard a little bit from you about kind of some big picture things and kind of beyond the particular policy reviews or special privileges. What about uh, that kind of relationship, that uh, that impact that uh, Hannah's talking about, particularly in Orlando and Central Florida, where Disney is, is so dominant? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it is... Uh, well, to, dominant is the exact right word. It is by far the biggest employer, the biggest, uh, you know, the the biggest economic driver. It is, um, it is sort of involved in essentially every major business association or nonprofit in Orlando. Um, it it is uh, Disney is an om- omnipresent force in Central Florida, um, and that can lead to um, to good things like like. Uh, building affordable housing. It's obviously sort of the bleeding edge of, of sort of seeing uh, low-wage service sector workers increasingly sort of unable to find places to live or stay in apartments and stuff. 
Um, but it can also be, um, you know, there are downsides that come with this, right? Like uh, Orlando's uh, hotel tax gets spent almost entirely just subsidizing tourism, right? And that is that is Disney sort of making sure that happens and that stays that way. So um, it is a it is an enormous influence in the state as a whole, and that is even more so true in Central Florida for all the good and ill that entails. Let, let me ask you a quick follow up to that before we go to more calls. If I could, Jason, this Reedy Creek District, which gives Disney uh, quasi-independence, basically its own city almost, how hard would it be to undo these privileges, to, to change the way it's set up? Uh, in California, they tried to do that with a city called Vernon. It's an industrial city that operates independently, kind of similar to this Reedy Creek District, but they, they couldn't pull it off. It was too complex to, to undo the setup. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't believe uh, that this is a serious policy consideration that Republicans will really sort of pursue, um, in part because, I mean, you you essentially think of, of what would be involved if you just sort of dissolved, uh, you know, the city of Orlando government structure or like or pick some pick some sort of mid-sized city somewhere and just dissolve the governing structure there that that there is a whole bunch of uh, services that that government provides that now need to be picked up by somebody else or integrated into something else. I mean, it is, you know, for as obscure as the Reedy Creek Improvement District is, it is, it is essentially a full functioning city. It's got, um, it's got almost all the powers of a regular city government short of like, you know, Disney can't run its own police force. Can't Disney can't Mm -hmm. throw people in jail. Um, but it does, uh, you know, it does zoning, it does building codes, it does um, utility service, it does all sorts of things like that. And and to sort of unwind that would be, you know, an enormous undertaking because all of that, all of that is going to have to then be picked up by, you know, Orange County or some other local government in Central Florida. Ron in Homestead. Hi, Ron. Go ahead. What are your thoughts? Hi, thank you for taking my call. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, <clears throat> both of the um, don't say gay legislation, and I think I should also touch on um, any kind of racism legislation concerning the source or causes. I, I see them both as a political move, number one, and a, a solution in search of a problem. I, I don't know anything other than DeSantis introducing this to gain political points with his base and perhaps bring other people and like one of your former callers, I also agree with one of your former callers that it is somewhat of an authoritarian move and a threatening move, and certainly, as your expert points out, maybe to dissuade others from engaging in such things. But I'd also like to point out something that's important in 26 years in sociology. Um, <clears throat> the ages that they're talking about to not teach these things are the ages in which racism and sexual orientation form. So it's as if they're almost protecting the teaching of racism and perhaps prejudice against uh, sexual orientation from the home, family, and friends from being discredited at the schools, which would cause perhaps an issue between the, the children and the parents, because I can see the children asking their parents, especially like a racist parent, what, why this is being done, why they're teaching this when they say at school it's a different thing. Uh, however, overall, I do see it as a political move by DeSantis. 
Thanks so much for your thoughts, Ron. So Jason Garcia, he's referring not only to the Parental Rights and Education Bill, which Disney has spoken out about, but also the Stop Woke Act about uh, teaching the full ugly picture of America's racial history. So what are your final thoughts about this whole situation here in Florida? Yeah, I think um, it, it is uh, what I would suggest is, is folks sort of continue to pay attention to this because we have um, we have seen sort of dust ups like this before um, in other contexts. So, for instance, um, during the 2018 governor's race, um, actually, when Ron DeSantis was running in the Republican primary against um, a guy by the name of Adam Putnam, who uh, declared himself to be a proud NRA sellout. And this was. Um, you know, when there was heightened sensitivity about mass shootings and stuff, there was a big uh, Publix uh, was one of uh, Adam Putnam's main funders. And it caught a lot of pushback from folks uh, from anti-gun or from anti-gun violence activists uh, pressuring the, the company to sort of stop supporting NRA candidates like Putnam. And Publix uh, temporarily pulled back. But then, you know, after the Fuhrer died down, um, was back to sort of its normal pattern of campaign contributions. We saw the same thing after um, the January 6th insurrection with a number of companies um, vowing never to support uh, uh, politicians that sort of encouraged or incited that insurrection. Those have sort of fallen away. So these 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 um, sort of dust-ups between politicians and the, the sort of corporations that tend to be some of their biggest funders, they happen from time to time and they get a lot of attention in the moment, but then once uh, once that sort of the 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 attention fades away a little bit, everything sort of seems to revert to status quo. So, um, you know, for folks on both sides of the aisle, for folks, that, you know, on the left that might think, you know, Disney and corporations have too much economic influence in the state and that needs to be undone. Or from, you know, folks on the right that feel like, you know, Disney and woke corporations have too much influence on social policy. Keep paying attention to this stuff. Make sure that it doesn't sort of revert to the status quo. Keep paying attention to the to where the, where Disney is sending its money, who it's sending its money to, and, and, and sort of what is happening legislatively as a result of that. Jason Garcia, investigative reporter covering corporate influence in the legislature, publisher of the newsletter Seeking Rents. Jason, thanks for sharing your expertise and reporting with us. Much appreciated. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again for having me. I enjoyed it. We want to continue hearing from you Floridians. Michael in Williston has been listening in on Line 5. Michael, thanks for joining the conversation. Go ahead. Hey there. Uh, thank you for hearing hearing from me, but yeah, I am really clueless about part of this. Uh, I don't understand why a bill like they've brought up is necessary. I don't understand why a kindergartner or a third grader would have issues in their life at, developed at that point to need classroom teaching, because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about teaching the whole class. Um, further, the instructors, teachers of kindergarten through uh, third grade, I'm not sure are trained to properly uh, instruct in those topics. I mean, it, it, the times tables are hard enough in the third grade, okay? <laughs> you know, the, uh, the last thing I would say about this is that um, whether we like it or not, our elected officials are elected by the people. I don't care, Democrat or Republican, they're elected. Respectfully, Disney wasn't elected by anybody. Um, you know, Disney, I'm an older 
citizen. And Disney is like, in my world, part of the family, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I grew up watching the Mickey Mouse Club. But this is not Walt Disney's Disney anymore. Yeah. Okay? It's something else. I like 98% of what they do. I'm just saying that people that elect the uh, politicians should be the one in control of what happens politically with bills and things like that. Gotcha. Michael, we appreciate your voice there from Williston. We want to hear from one more Nina on line 11. Go ahead, Nina. We've got uh, about a minute or so. We want to hear from you. (laughs) Okay. Well, I was just (laughs) connecting uh, Disney's... uh, idea that they would be neutral in uh, uh, sending money uh, to the legislature and the governor as uh, donations to their campaigns. And uh, what has the legislature or the governor got to lose as long as they're not sending any money? More thought. I agree with a lot of what the other people had to say, but this is just another point. Thanks for that point. Thanks for everyone who engaged. Uh, It's not a surprise. We couldn't get everybody on the radio that called into the show here on the Florida Roundup. But we do appreciate everybody getting on the line with us and also tweeting the show at Florida Roundup as we talk about this story, which has certainly made headlines, Tom, from beyond Florida's borders. Uh, And we will continue to get into it here on the show. You're listening to the Florida Roundup from Florida Public Radio. A new survey is going out to students and faculty at college and university campuses across the Sunshine State. Now, the state says that this survey is meant to measure what it calls intellectual freedom and viewpoint diversity. But a faculty union representing higher education institutions in Florida is calling on students and staff to ignore the survey, saying it's unconstitutional. Yeah, the United Faculty of Florida even says the survey poses a threat to higher education by creating a chilling effect of speech on campus. They have sued over this survey. Give us a call as we talk about this. 305-995-1800 tweets to at Florida Roundup as we welcome Andrew Gothard, president of United Faculty of Florida and an English instructor at Florida Atlantic University. Professor, good to be with you. Thank you so much for having me. Let's begin with the complaint. United Faculty of Florida is involved in a federal lawsuit with state education officials, the Department of Ed, members of the Board of Governors that oversees Florida State Universities. You're challenging this survey along with other plaintiffs. Tell us the nature of your complaint. Absolutely. You know, from the beginning, we knew that this survey was going to be problematic because of how um, lenient or uh, ambiguous the language is in the law that uh, mandates the survey. So the language does not provide any protections on requiring the survey to be anonymous. It doesn't put any limits on the types of questions that could be asked. And uh, you know, anytime you're asking an American citizen to identify to the government what their political beliefs are, what their religious beliefs might be, and specifically to report on the beliefs of their colleagues, their classmates, Uh, the the, the other individuals who make up the higher education community, we immediately saw that as a problem, uh, specifically because we anticipated, and this was was borne out this week when the surveys went out, that the questions would be leading 
and they would be designed in such a way to indicate to faculty, staff, and students that they should think twice before they choose certain research projects, before they express certain ideas on campus, or before they engage in certain behaviors or discussions in class. They should stop and think, hmm, I wonder if someone's going to report me to the governor. I wonder if someone's going to report me to the Board of Governors or the Florida legislature for having ideas that those in power might not support. And for us, this actually isn't even a partisan issue, because with this law, the way it is written, this survey can be developed and redeveloped each year, and it can be written and wielded as a weapon by whichever political party is in power. So for us, this is a fight for the, free, the, the right to freedom of speech, freedom of association, and the right to privacy for every member of the higher education community, regardless of their political or ideological background or belief system. You believe it's unconstitutional? We do, absolutely. Uh, specifically because it is designed to chill the, uh, as I said before, the freedom of speech, freedom of association, and right to privacy. It is designed to intimidate people into not, let's say, joining particular, to not join particular clubs or not teach particular books in class or not speak about particular ideas or debate particular subjects on campus. So yes, we do believe it is unconstitutional and we look forward to getting our day in court to prove that. Uh, as we continue to talk about this, give us a call, Florida. The state has sent out a survey to students and college professors. Professors are being asked to identify their political leanings, whether they're liberal, moderate, or conservative. What are your thoughts about this? As we speak with the president of the United Faculty of Florida, Andrew Gothard, they have sued over this survey. It is voluntary at this time. But what do you think? Do you, are you a conservative that perhaps believes academia is too liberal and suppresses conservative voices? Or do you think this survey is heavy-handed, overreaching, and sets a bad precedent. Give us a call. Line up the calls now at 305-995-1800 and tweet us your thoughts about free speech on campus. Tweet us at Florida Roundup. Free speech on college campuses. That's the topic. We'll get to your voices in a moment. This is the Florida Roundup on Florida Public Radio. Welcome back to the Florida Roundup here on Florida Public Radio in Miami. I'm Tom Hudson. And in Jacksonville, I'm Melissa Ross. We'll go to your calls in a moment as faculty in Florida sue over surveys that have gone out this week, asking them to declare their political beliefs. 305-995-1800. Andrew Gothard, president of United Faculty of Florida, still with us. So, uh, Professor you know, conservatives in the legislature champion this law. They say academia is a liberal bastion and that conservative voices on campus are often marginalized or suppressed. What's your response? You know, I would say two things to that. Number one, you know, this, this idea that, you know, there's too much liberalism on higher education campuses is not a new one. In fact, for decades, this is something that typically gets thrown around close to election seasons or when far-right conservatives want to score easy political points against what they think is a, is, a, is a weak target. But, you know, if it were actually true that liberalism were rampant on our higher education campuses, 
we would have seen a historic shift to the left that continued to dominate American culture. And in reality, what we see is a back and forth that we've always seen about Democratic versus Republican control of our legislature and our country. The other thing I would say to that is, you know, the United Faculty of Florida, we represent over 25,000 higher education faculty and over 8,000 graduate assistants at 32 different universities and colleges across the state from the panhandle to the Keys. So what that means is we're all over the place. And what we see is that the political beliefs of the faculty and students on a given campus tend to align with whatever community they're connected to. So we think it is entirely normal and healthy if you go to, say, a large university in an urban area. If the faculty and the students tend to lean left, that makes sense because that institution is made up of the community in which it exists. Whereas if you go to a small rural community college, you will find that the vast majority of faculty and students there lean right. And our, in, our organization is made up of these disparate voices. So when we look at the actual people on the ground that make up the higher education system, we just don't see what the Florida legislature claims to see. And we're the ones who are in there talking to the people, and they are not. Andrew, there's two surveys here, one for students, one for uh, faculty. Uh, does the United Faculty of Florida oppose both surveys? We do. We okay. oppose both surveys. Can you give us a sense think... of what the questions are? Yes, absolutely. I don't have them in front of me to, to quote them for you, but generally they ask uh, questions like, you know, what is what is your political belief? And you will choose from an array of answers. Uh, what do you believe? Uh, it, for students in particular, it says, uh, do you believe that your instructors are to the left or to the right of you politically? Do you believe your fellow classmates are to the left or the right of you? And they ask a faculty to report on their colleagues as well. Now, interestingly enough, Neither of those two surveys asks what influence local administrators might be having on the political climate on campus. They don't ask what board of trustees members might be doing to influence political climate, and they don't ask what local politicians might be doing. Mm -hmm. They only ask about fellow students and colleagues, and that is very telling. Uh, of the fact that these surveys are not actually trying to find the truth about the political climate on campus. They are a conclusion searching for evidence. And that, for us, means they are invalid from the beginning, and that leads, at least in part, to the unconstitutionality of these surveys as well. Let's go to your calls. Terry in Melbourne. Hi, Terry. You're on the air. Hi there. Uh, well, you know, I'm an 81-year-old senior citizen sitting down here, and I just see one controlling, limiting piece of legislation after another being passed. The politicians in this case can only have one thing in mind, and that's to control the ideological balance in our universities. This is an obvious uh, violation of precious academic freedom. Thanks for your thoughts. You know, we're getting tweets about this too, Professor. Here's one. Uh, the survey is an invasion of privacy and free speech on campus and appeals to fear and uncertainty. Uh, what about this from the caller? Is is this a way, as, as he alleged, uh, to somehow control the ideological makeup on campus? This is for the caller or this is for me? Oh, for you. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, yes, we absolutely do believe that. Um, and you know, as we've said before, 
we already we I mean, and, and this this comes from actually talking to students and faculty on the ground. We already know that there is a good balance of ideological perspective. Every idea gets a fair shake. Now, the limit in higher education is that if you're going to present an idea, you need to be able to defend it with facts and information and good reasoning. Those are the skills that we teach. But if you look at any conservative foundational belief, whether it's low taxes and small government or, or, or anything that makes up a consistent conservative platform, those ideas are taught consistently on our higher education campuses. But when you talk to the legislators in the, in the Florida legislature about why this survey is needed or who are these evil professors or students that are teaching inappropriately or shouting people down, they can never provide a specific example. And we think that is because it doesn't exist, while we can point to over 25,000 people who are teaching and acting appropriately on campus every day. We did extend an invitation for this conversation to the State University System of Florida. We did not hear back from that group. 305-995-1800 for your phone calls, 305-995-1800. You can also send us a tweet at Florida Roundup as you're listening to the Florida Roundup on Florida Public Radio. Jeff in Homestead is listening into the conversation. Jeff, uh, you took this survey, is that correct? Uh, yes, I did. I took it as a faculty member. Okay. Tell us about it. Well, I, I do agree that uh, there's a political agenda uh, behind it. I was just surprised that the, rep the faculty representatives uh, claimed that it was an attempt to chill speech. I, I didn't feel threatened about, at it, about it at all. Um, but they are, I think, uh, searching for a particular result uh, in the questions they ask. Uh, uh, Jeff, thank you for that. Uh, Andrew, why do you believe this is somehow a prior restraint on speech? I think that's kind of the legal argument maybe that you may be going for here. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when you look at the questions, if you don't know any of the context or the background or the history, it may seem that the, that the, the questionnaire may be somewhat innocuous. But there are several reasons that we believe we should be deeply concerned. One is that... Um, Governor DeSantis, as well as other legislators in the Florida legislature, did publicly threaten to defund or otherwise harm institutions, so students, faculty, staff, and community members whose responses to these surveys didn't match what they believed would be the appropriate ideology. So there's an attempt there to enforce a certain belief system, and that's where the chilling effect comes in. If you're sitting back thinking, well, I have a liberal viewpoint, but I know Governor DeSantis won't like that. Maybe I should not be outspoken on campus. Maybe I I shouldn't teach certain subjects because I don't want to harm my colleagues by having the institution defunded. I would also point to some issues that we've discovered just this week, one of which being the survey is not being conducted by a third party. So despite assurances that these survey results will be anonymous, it is our understanding that the responses are going directly back to the Board of Governors, and there is no oversight to make mm. sure that they will not be keeping a list of who responded. Mm. In addition, uh the links are not individualized. So we are getting reports consistently of faculty and students who are saying they have the opportunity to fill out the survey multiple times from different devices and the ability to share the survey with individuals outside the higher education system who can then fill it out and pretend to be participating as a student, staff, or faculty member. So uh, yeah, this, that could this skew the results. Um, and and, and uh, not, not to cut you off, we have a student on the line, Ashley, on the UCF campus, who uh, has been surveyed. Hi, Ashley, go ahead. Hi. Um, so I was listening to your call, and I looked at it just like in my email to see what the questions were. 
and I thought that it would be nice to give you guys some of the questions that I've been given. I haven't answered any yet. Would you like to hear them? Yeah, we've only got time for a few, but go ahead. Um, so a few are not really geared at all, but then some are like, uh, give me one second. Uh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> students at my college or university are encouraged to consider a wide variety of viewpoints and perspectives. Do you feel comfortable speaking up on your views and non-controversial topics? And then some end up asking if I'm concerned if most of my professors or course instructors have held the same political beliefs. If I feel intimidated because of those political beliefs, it even asks my professors or course instructors are generally more conservative, liberal, other, or I don't know. And if the okay, uh, Ashley, real quickly, how do you feel about these questions? Uh, I personally feel like it's trying to make it to where the universities are, like our academic instructors are not um, not to be trusted. I'm personally a history major, and I haven't. I'm in my last year at UCF. I haven't experienced any bias in any of my classes. Everything, like even when we ask the professor's opinion, most of the time they try to shy away from it, and they say this class is not about my opinion. It is about history, and I will give you the facts, and then you can form your own opinion. Well, Ashley, I really appreciate the call. Ashley calling from the UCF campus. Uh, Andrew Gothard, uh, one minute left. Uh, where does this federal lawsuit go from here? Well, uh, we were disappointed last Friday uh, to hear that Judge Walker, the judge in our, our case in uh, in federal court, denied our preliminary injunction to stop the survey from going out. But just a few days ago, he did also deny the state's motion to dismiss our lawsuit outright. So we have a court date scheduled for September. We are continuing to gather evidence uh, to support our case, to not only strike down the uh, portion of the law that mandates the survey, but also the portions that allow for uh, students to secretly record classes in actions against instructors and faculty members, and also the portion that uh, forbids institutions from shielding students, faculty, and staff from certain ideas on campus. So an ability to choose what kinds of speakers can what come to campus. What kinds of speakers come in. Uh, Andrew right. Gothard, president of United Faculty of Florida. Thanks. Thank you. And that's our show. The Florida Roundup, produced by WJCT Public Media in Jacksonville and WLRN Public Media in Miami. Heather Schatz and Natu Tway are producers. Catherine Hobbs is associate producer. WLRN's director of radio operations and our technical director is Peter Maertz. Engineering help from Doug Peterson, Charles Michaels, and Josh Torres. Richard Ives answers the phones. Our theme music is provided by Miami jazz guitarist Aaron Libos at AaronLibos.com. Thanks for supporting public broadcasting. Have a great weekend. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Melissa Ross. And we'll be back next Friday at noon.